way to describe it. Hey, buddy, how are you? I didn't even say good morning to him yet. I saw him slip in there. He's tough to miss. Um, and anybody who can be a Browns fan that long, um, <laughs> you just feel a special love for a guy, right? You just feel a special love for um, and worship team, Dan, thanks, um, friends, for leading us in that. Thanks for opening up space for us to meet with the Almighty and interact with God. Uh, it's interesting to me that at the height of the earthly ministry of Jesus, when things are really heating up for him, he makes this trip from down south in Judea, uh, kind of the region of Judah, the center of all religious activity, the epicenter of faith community in Jerusalem. Jesus makes his trip up north and uh, goes up to a place called Samaria. Well, he's on his way to Galilee, but he, he kind of makes a, a jaunt through a place called Samaria that was really the direct path, but not really the place people often went. He meets a woman there, really fascinating conversation ensues. You can find it in John chapter four. And the woman who he meets at a well is in, infamous in scripture now uh, for being known as the woman at the well, uh, which is, you know, she should have like a real name, but um, that's how we refer to her these days. He has this incredible conversation with her. And in the midst of this kind of history-making conversation and the things that would come about from that conversation Later, the whole crux of her life with God and her life in culture and society hinges on one thing. And I don't, I don't wanna be so simplistic to say all of life hinges on one thing every time, but there are a few spots in life where we can pause and say, finally, it gets a little simpler that life hinges on this thing. And Jesus says these words in John chapter four. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. As if to say that, you know, worship will no longer depend upon where it comes from or where you experience it. Verse 22, you Samaritans worship what you do not know and we worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and it has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit. The crux of a conversation with one of millions and millions and millions over time who have questioned their life with God and questioned the realities of God's activity in the world, this one conversation does not hinge upon her obedience or her understanding of the scriptures or her interaction with culture and society. Her, her life hinges on how she will worship on what she will worship, on the way in which she will worship. And her honest and courageous encounter with Jesus, man, I just challenge you to go back and read it. It is a fascinating encounter. And place yourself in her spot as if you were to meet with the almighty God and have that sort of interaction with him. That encounter would pave the way for transformation in her entire community. The arguments over 
what constitutes worship are as old as the human race itself. The woman at the well was wrestling with this ancient turmoil in her soul. And I can't help but ask myself the question for us as we look as a, as a little, what I call a little chili pepper of a church. We may be small, but man, we are powerful. And as we look at the next 10 years in the life of this church, I find myself and the leaders who I lead alongside asking this question increasingly of what's gonna have to happen for us in worship to transform not only us, but the entire city. We can think about this life with God, this inner life and our worship and the way we adore him as the fulcrum for which all things that we do and we are really hinge off of. It has been said, show me your checkbook and I'll show you what you care about or show me your calendar and I'll show you what matters or show me whatever it might be. And there's some truth to that. I don't know that life is always as simple as that. Uh, But there is some truth to this idea that what we worship, that where your treasure is, so also your heart will follow. What's gonna have to happen for us as a worshiping community of people? And why worship sits at the center of this is obviously God's prerogative, but it must have at least some, if not most, to do with what separates the Christian way from every other way known to man. From the consumeristic way, from the hedonistic way, from the humanist way, from the Muslim way. What separates us at the center is that coercion has no place in the Christian faith. There is almost nothing more anti-Christ than coercion. And so in this invitation to worship is an invitation to surrender, not out of coercion. You know, we see these stories in the Old Testament, one after another after another of evil kings and evil rulers who say, you will bow a knee to me. You will worship me. You will do this. And then Jesus arrives on the scene and says, ah, give to Caesar what he wants. No coercion here with Jesus. It's not to say that the people who follow Jesus don't give it all because we see over and over and over again, they will sacrifice anything and everything to be with Jesus, to live out this Jesus way. But worship sits so much at the center of all of this. And I believe that as we move forward in our next 10, we would be served well to go back and look at the very essence of worship to recapture a vision of worship that settles for nothing less than personal and communal transformation. If my worship of God individually is not over time transforming the community with which I worship, there has been a miss. And if the communal worship of the community for which I connect with doesn't eventually change me as an individual, there is also a significant miss. 
that there is a connection point. This is why one of my favorite axes to grind has been Caleb for so many years. Not because there's anything bad about Caleb. It's wonderful. Listen to Caleb. But do not be, and Caleb wouldn't have for you to do this either, but do not be lulled into a false sense that that is somehow worship. That is not my friend's worship. That's great, uplifting, encouraging words, positive music. That's what it is. And it's wonderful. It's way better than Fox News. It will do far more for your soul than MSNBC. It's even better than NPR. Caleb is far better for you than any of those things. But it is not worship. I know I'm ruffling feathers already. Like, man, you're five minutes in and I'm already angry at you. It's my first time here. Why are you doing that? It's not my point. That's not my intent. It's not my desire. My desire is to maybe open up a grander room for us to enter in as we think about adoring the God of creation. That it not be limited to singing three minute songs, though those are beautiful, that it not be limited to praying along with Pastor Dan. And do you ever dream when Pastor Dan is praying? Like, man, I wanna pray like that. You've heard me tell the story before in staff meetings in the early days when Dan was early on staff, there, we would all pray for each other every Tuesday night and pray for you. And, and so we would go around the circle and pray for one another. And there was always this little mathematic going on among those of us on staff for who you would pray for in order that you would get Dan to pray for you. You know what I'm saying? There's like this little kind of star shape and you're like, okay, well, Sean just prayed for Jason and then Jason prayed, oh, I need to pray for Ruth so that Dan is stuck praying for me. I'm the only one left. (laughs) Yes. It's gotta change us, guys. That when, when one of us enters in, that it begins to change the community. It's why you are so critical to the community of faith. It's why when you're new and you're reading through the gospels, I wanna corner you in the back and hear what you're learning. Not because I know what you know, I don't. I'm learning from you. You're changing me by your reading. You're in first Peter, tell me, what's he saying to you? I wanna know this Jesus you know. I wanna engage with this Holy Spirit that you know so much better than me. And then I wanna be a mouthpiece for what's going on. It's time that you and I recapture a vision of worship that settles for nothing less than that kind of transformation. A worship experience that leads to a changed life where there is now peace, where there once was turmoil, where there is now a birthing curiosity where once cynicism ruled the day, where there is now hope where once there was hopelessness, where there is joy where there once was only mourning. We are courageously pursuing a vision for worship that does not merely confirm what we think we already know about God. But we are pursuing a vision for worship where we usher one another in and we begin to learn things about who God is and how he operates that blow our minds and that force us to stare down what it is we think we know of and with God. 
that causes us to feel new things about God that we didn't think we felt before. In this room, there are engineers and there are PhDs and there are artists and there are teachers. There are dreamers, there are cops. And it will take all of us coming together and saying, when I encounter God, here's how he changes me. And if you don't speak that up and if we don't open up space for that, the ways in which God is changing you can't transform the community. Psalm 22. Go there now if you have a Bible. And uh, for those um, who use the YouVersion app every week, uh, just accept my apologies. We didn't get to it this week. Things got a little haywire this week. And so um, that YouVersion event is not live. So if you go to look for it, you won't find it. It's not you, it's me. It's not you, it's me. Uh, you ever heard that before? Uh, Psalm 22. Uh, can I just pause and pray as we um, continue on? Uh, Father, Son, and Spirit, as we have sung already, you are here moving in the midst. So the question is not, um, and the request is not, God, please show up and do something because um, you're here. You're already moving. It's just who you are. So God, would you give us a, an attentiveness to your spirit and a listening ear? Would you break down what we think we already know about you and open up some curiosity to learn something new? Uh, and not simply to learn it, but to be changed by your presence, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call out to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every day I call out, my God, and you don't answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. But I am a worm, not a man. I'm scorned and I'm despised by all, exclamation point, he shouts. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and they shake their heads and they say, is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. You brought me safely from my mother's womb and you led me to trust you at my mother's breast. I was thrust into your arms at my birth and you have been my God from the moment I was born. These opening lines are written by a king, King David, who has quite a famous backlog of life and story. A man who in his youth experienced the closeness of God as an artist and a poet. He was the youngest of a bunch of strong brothers and often written off as the dreamer artist sent out to care for sheep in solitude. And in those moments and days and hours and months of solitude, he met with God and he experienced a closeness with God. 
Now, when they searched for a new king and he came into the room, they knew immediately this is our king. He says, I keep calling out to you and you don't answer. You can't call out to someone who doesn't answer unless you have called out in the past and they did answer and you recognized the voice. You're you're wrestling internally at the times when you're not so sure God's out there or not so sure God is speaking speaks to your deep belief, not your lack of faith. When you're crying out to God saying, God, why aren't you speaking? It's speaking to your desire to hear from the Almighty and your memory that he has spoken in the past. Maybe I'm the problem. He carries on in verse six. David suggests that, I mean, everybody thinks he's crazy. His prayers progress in verses nine and 10. And he makes this pivot to say, yet you brought me safely from my mother's womb. Even when I don't feel you, you're working. Even when I don't see you, I know your character. I know that you kept me alive way back then. I know that you were there. And and that progression of looking back on God's faithfulness will continue as the text goes on. Over the past year, I have had more friends turn away from the Christian faith in favor of atheism, agnosticism, or cynicism, which I believe is the religion of our day, uh, in greater number than I've experienced in my 42 years prior. And I was not equipped to navigate this with friends didn't know how to walk it through. And it was uh, so much learning that God was teaching me about my own brokenness. Will will you actually be humble enough, Stu, to say, I don't have a clue, but I love you and I'm in this with you. Or will you answer some ridiculous bumper sticker answer that throws shame and blame on your friend and gets them back in the fold as it were? I haven't got it right every time. You can ask around. Certainly probably hear some stories or read some blogs about some ways I've gotten it wrong. But the discussion of their own personal pain in life and their vulnerability to talk about something that has really been off limits in the Christian enclave for generations has been pretty life-giving. It's encouraged me, quite frankly. And I have realized in those times that honest reflection is so key this honest reflection of my personal experience with God is so key. That as we continue to press into the next 10 as followers of Jesus and as a community of believers who are following after Jesus, this first key, if if we're to think about it as simply as I possibly can, that honest reflection of your personal experience with God is essential. Just because you like the tune of a song and it makes you feel good does not mean that you're actually speaking to God. You may actually be singing to your emotions more than you are God. And just because you love to sit in silence and not be bugged by others and call it meditation does not mean that you're reflecting on God. 
Both of those are beautiful experiences. And sometimes we sing, not because we feel like we want to, but because the community needs us to sing. Because you've got a sister and a brother up here who are singing and saying, sing with me. Our God is so, how great is our God? Sing with me. And that that sing with me is not because they couldn't think of a line in the song to put in there. It's a, we gotta do it together, friends. Put your coffee down, stop looking at Instagram and sing with me. How great is our, I'm not crazy, right? How great is our God? He is still great, right? Because I just spent all week in the world Not that the world is evil, but I just spent all week chasing the mighty buck and trying to get my kid to soccer and trying to get him over a cold. And I just need to be reminded with my friends that God is still great. And then there are times where we desperately need to just sit and reflect and go, God, I don't don't know how I'm doing with you. So I'm gonna sit here quietly. I may not hear anything for a period of time. Honest reflection of your personal experience with God is so key. How are you with God? I remember being asked this question. I grew up in the church and and for the most part, really wonderful church. And I remember people saying things like, if you've been around the church a long time, some of these, you you know, kind of cringe. But I remember being asked, how's your walk, brother? My my walk? I think it's fine. I... I walked in, I'm walking, I don't, oh, you mean with God? I don't, like, what do you mean? How's my walk? I don't, what? And it it wasn't because, I mean, their question is weird. I mean, it is a weird question, but, but the heart of the question is beautiful. And it was really easy for me to dismiss internal reflection because the question's weird and not say, well, you know what? I don't actually know how I am with God because I haven't given it 13 seconds of thought in the last week. I figured if I showed up and sang a few songs, you would tell me how I am with God. And then I could walk away with that and have an answer. David continues to write this just honest reflection. God, I don't hear you. If you're out there, speak up, pal. I've heard you before. I don't know if you're hearing it, God, but the word on the street is that I'm a worm. I'm not even a man. So if y'all could get involved there, Trinity, you got three of you up there. I just need one. Could one of you show up? This is honest reflection. And this is the kind of reflection... I think God, if he's sitting on a throne, like literally, he like inches to the front and goes, oh, keep talking. Let's talk. This is great. You're mad at me? Oh no, whatever shall I do? He's all right. (laughs) He's doing fine. He didn't create you and me and all of creation out of some loneliness or emptiness in himself. He created out of an overflow of himself. So he wasn't like lacking and needed you. Like, oh, I'm so bored. I need some entertainment. I'll make some idiots. They'll do dumb stuff. <laughs> he created out of the overflow of who he was. In his image, he made them. Man and woman. And set them on mission. You and me. David 
David keeps writing. I, I wish I could talk through all these verses, but you would leave. That would hurt my feelings. And that's really what this is about. So uh, <laughs> let me continue. Verse 22. So, right, he's done all this crying out and then he's pivoted to, but I'm gonna worship you. But God, like you do know what they're saying about me, right? And, and then we arrive at 22. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. Praise the Lord, all you who fear him. Honor him, all you descendants of Jacob. Show him reverence, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but he has listened to their cries for help. I will praise you in the great assembly. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you. The poor will, be, will eat and be satisfied and all who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. You, you just feel this courage rising in David and this idea that at his fingertips to some extent lies the transformation of the world in which he lives that upon the praises of his people, God will inhabit that. And transformation comes. It ain't gonna happen through political powers. You like this guy, you think he's gonna change everything he ain't. You hate this guy, you think the next woman or man will change everything, they ain't either. You know what's gonna change it? The worship and the adoration of God's people united together on mission announcing the kingdom of God is alive and well. Not through coercion, not through smashing a fist, not through bumper stickers or a moral agenda, not through any of that, but through people worshiping the risen Lord and saying he is alive and well and his kingdom is on the move and we're all together in it. So we arrive and we say, how are you today? And we go, it's been a hard week, but the Lord lives and lives among us. And I think to some extent in, in our Gen X and millennial and even boomer society, saying the right thing, having the right image, being the right kind of cool has trumped actual good living. We become so consumed that we couldn't ever say, you know what, I'm not awesome, but you know what? The Lord lives and he's alive and well and he is good. David steps out in this great courage. So I think honest reflection is really key. And, and we in the next 10 will continue to be the kind of community that fosters honest reflection. But hear me in this, not honest reflection for honest reflection's sake. I'm just gonna keep it real. Well, you're a real jerk. So like keeping it real is good, but keeping it real and being honest and reflecting who we actually are authentically is a means to an end, not the end in and of itself. Are we, are we together on that? Like, 
If anything else you, you want to ignore about who disciples is as a community, you could probably get away with it, but you cannot ignore that piece because that is critical to our DNA as followers of Jesus, that we are authentic for the sake of becoming transformed into the image of Christ. So if we don't start with authenticity, the only person God can actually interact with is actually the real you. Like when you're wanting to worship God and know God, if you and I are fake before God, God can't know that person because he didn't make that person. That inauthentic, false self, it's like, I, it's like God doesn't know what to do with that. So we, we must be authentic and reflect honestly, but not for its own sake, for the sake of transformation. That we are ever so slowly, certainly, and failing all the time, becoming more like the image of Jesus. And we're looking around the community of faith and going, okay, there's some areas of my life that need to be more like the image of Jesus. I, I want more. So it's when we, when we crack the joke about wanting to pray like Dan, we, we do that in love and affection, but it, we mean that. Like if your prayer life is lacking, you need to start having coffee with Dan and Ash on a regular basis and saying, teach me how to pray. If, if you're, you get the point, right? I'm gonna be out of time. <laughs> the second piece of this is a, a conviction to praise God in expectation for his people. A conviction to praise God in expectation for his people. Just as Dan led us and the band led us today, there are aspects to our worship that are actually, newsflash, not about us. They're about the body. And so there are things that we pray in song, that we pray in solitude, that we pray in life group, that we talk about in worship that are actually not for us. They are for the community, for someone who needs healing, for someone who needs deliverance, for someone who needs comfort, for someone who needs fresh revelation. Those are for the community. It's not actually for us. If you need something for you, positive, encouraging words. Caleb, that's for you. Enjoy it. And I, I don't mean that with any sense of snideness. Enjoy that. That is for you. But when we come together to worship, whether it's in life group, whether it's in the lobby, whether it's on a Sunday morning, whether it's over coffee, we come together to be honestly reflected before God for the sake of being transformed to be for and with a world who needs us. It's not more complicated than that. We can't go back there. Say, well, I don't, I don't like that saying. Or, oh, I didn't. A famous Christian author who has often been known to quote this saying where people walk out of church and go, oh, worship wasn't very good today. And his response is, well, good, because it actually wasn't for you, uh, right? And, and again, don't, don't, hear me, don't hear me in a sort of modernistic reductionism reduce down worship to the four songs that we sing on Sunday. Those are part of a grander story. But they are a bit of a teaser. Like, if we can't through melody and harmony, and I mean, they're really beautiful people too. Like, they're fun to look at. So it's like, if you can't see God in that, 
I don't, I don't know what to tell you. In February of 2018, Boston introduced an interactive art installation in the middle of winter. Uh, it was right there in the center of the city. I've never been to Boston, so I don't know this portion. Uh, and I don't see Vincent here today, but he was in Boston all this week. Is he back now? Is he still, he's still there. So it's our, one of our elders, Vincent Hill, is working in Boston this week. And as I read this, I thought of him. Right in the center of the Seaport Common, uh, there was an ongoing feeling that the long winter months were so dark and depressing. They wanted to put something in the central commons of the city in the darkest, coldest part of winter to kind of brighten people's spirits. It was called the Impulse Seesaws. And it consisted, we've got a picture of it. It consisted of 15 illuminated musical seesaws. I'm not kidding. That ran 24 hours a day. And uh, when your side of the seesaw went down, it would light up your half and music would play, kind of like a music box. And when it would tilt back, then that side would light up. And as you can imagine, down this long uh, commons area, you have 15 seesaws, you know, all going and lights lighting up and all of our human senses are engaged. You're smelling the fresh air of a crisp, freezing day and you're seeing lights going around and you're hearing the laughter, I assume, of people. I mean, I don't know that I've ever seen anybody on a seesaw arguing about politics. Can you imagine? <laughs> you're an idiot. No, you're an idiot. <laughs> right? I mean, it's just like, you just can't do it, right? It's like being mad when you're eating ice cream. I don't get that. Like how Music would play fascinating thing. It, and it wasn't new to Boston. It had already been installed the same sort of art feature in London and Brussels, Chicago, Montreal, I think a few other places as well. Wildly successful. People came out in hordes for those three months in the middle of the freezing winter to just hang out together. And this is kind of illustrative of worship for you and I. There is this exchange back and forth that's invited when we gather in worship, whether we gather to sing songs on a Sunday, whether we gather around a life group and prayer or around God's word to study, whether we gather with a friend over coffee with the intent that, hey, let's have coffee, but I really wanna get to the bottom of this. I wanna talk with you about this aspect of my life with God. There's an intentionality to it. And there's a back and forth that happens. And this is so illustrative of our invitation by the almighty God, free of coercion, to lift him up and to reflect on who we are in him and who he is. We spent months discussing the four atmospheres we are committed to existing in as a church in the next 10 years. I want to continue to exist in the atmosphere of church planting and helping church planters, the ones we like and even the ones we don't like, to help them accomplish what God's put in their heart to establish new communities of faith all over the place. I want to continue to partner with the global church. We'll be going back to Guatemala this summer. I had a few conversations this morning with some of you that are going. In fact, I'm gonna go in just a couple weeks on a quick weekend trip to go scout a few things out and have a few uh, pre-meetings for some things coming together for this summer. We're gonna continue to engage in local compassion care. We, we see God in that atmosphere doing something in us as a people that we really like, that's shaping us into the image of Christ. 
pulling us out of our comfort zone. So we'll host the homeless shelter here again in just a few weeks and other things as you dream them up, church. In fact, tonight we'll gather back here for dinner at five o'clock and I would would love for every single one of you and your families to be here. Dinner's provided, there's childcare. And we're gonna spend the evening tonight from five to about 7.30, eight o'clock dreaming about local compassion care. We're gonna take a survey together and do an inventory of all the different things you're already doing on mission in the city that are completely separate or apart from or not connected to disciples so that we can begin to network together and find out what's God up to in our community of faith and how do we connect people together in the right ways to see the kingdom of God get advanced in our area. The leadership of the church have set aside thousands of dollars that we don't really have to embolden your efforts in local mission. So that every time you have some crazy hairband idea of how you wanna love on foster kids or care for single moms or blessed teachers in the community, you fill out a really simple form and we're gonna give you the startup funds to get it going. And we're gonna stay out of it. We're not gonna control it. You don't have to answer to us. We're not gonna tell you how to do it. We're gonna resource you as best we know how and then say, tell us how it went. And we just wanna see the kingdom get announced. But all three of those things in my mind work as a seesaw. And all three of them are on one side of the seesaw and on the other side is worship. And they will all work hand in hand, left and right, back and forth with our worship. And if we cease to be a people who are pressing forward in worship, longing for healing, looking for spiritual breakthrough, interceding on each other's behalf, all of these other efforts will either have to be done in our own human strength or they will fizzle completely. It has to be in concert with our worship. That because of who God is, because of what he has done in us, we are being transformed and released back in and for and with the world for which we live to announce the kingdom of heaven. In the next 10, we invite you to explore in song more deeply. Our team are writing songs. I heard them play one today that has been written in our church and they were beginning to sing through it this morning. Gonna continue to press in though we are very new into it, but begin to continue to press in with a few of our spiritual leaders and invite you to go away on silence and solitude retreats. And just listen for God. For those who, for whom music in the big group doesn't always connect it, we're gonna send you away in groups on silence and solitude retreats and let you look out at an ocean for two days and just listen for God and then come back together and reflect on what you heard. And a number of other things as well. I'm out of time. And I don't wanna coerce you into listening to any more. Band and prayer team, would you join me? I'm gonna invite you to stand to your feet in just a minute. You don't have to stand yet, but I'm gonna invite you to stand to your feet and the prayer team are gonna be around the room. There's a few up front. There'll probably be at least one in the back. Would you go to the prayer team? Would you continue in worship and step out? There's a few ways available. One, go to a prayer team and, and think about those two sides of worship, personal, honest reflection 
and intercession for God's people. Where, where are you struggling most? Maybe it's all of it, maybe it's both of it, but where are you struggling most? I, you know what, I just haven't really been honest with God lately. I've been just going through the motions. Go to a prayer team member and have them begin to pray over you for that and intercede on your behalf. Or maybe you've said, man, you know what, I have been guilty. I've been only worshiping for my own personal edification and gratification. And I really feel the spirit pushing on me to intercede on the behalf of others. So would you pray for me on that? They're there for you on that. There's also a worship station set up where you can give financially. Where your treasure is, so your heart will be also. Church, if this is your family, this is our invitation and call is to give back generously of what God has given us financially. Don't miss that opportunity. You will continue to feel your gratitude grow, your trust deepen, and your vision for the kingdom expand. And all of those doors are open through generosity. So be generous. You can go to the back station and interact with that station there. Everything is there for you or at your seat. You can text that gift in or however you want to do that. Stand to your feet if you would with me. And we are reminded that our battles are fought and won in the atmosphere of worship. They aren't coerced by our big efforts or our strong ideas. Our our transformation is happening in worship. Praise and thanksgiving will be our weapons. Let's worship together. Don't waste time. (laughs) Get out to somebody and get prayer. Get to these prayer team people. They are gifted and passionate and want to pray with you and carry this with you. Let this move from the personal to the communal. Let's pray together and worship and then uh, we'll wrap up at the end. There's a table you prepared for me In the presence of Praise for all you've done.